Welcome to the 55 Safe Spaces podcast, hosted by Sylvia and Rimbi. Welcome to 55 Safe Spaces. Today we have an awesome guest who is coming from South Africa. Her name is Lerato Shai. And yeah, we just want to welcome her to the mic. I guess to the Zoom. <laughs> yeah. And yes, Loretta, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for honoring us with your time, girl. Of course. That's awesome. So, yes, Loretta. So, I guess to just give us a bit of a breakdown, like a background of yourself, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Larato Shahi, South African based in, well, currently a bit baseless because I am transitioning out of like <laughs> permanent work and I took a bit of a break from my career for three months and I was traveling in West Africa trying to learn French. So the lockdown found me just about to move to Joburg and then I sort of didn't because we were locked down. So I've been at home with my folks. Just been really amazing actually to be around family during this time. But yeah, I'm an economist by training, applied economist uh, working in the development space mostly. I'm currently now working for myself um, yeah. as an independent researcher. And I'm also the founder of a company called Morero, which is an organization that holds, creates and holds space for women to build confidence. Um, unlock clarity and cultivate conviction in their chosen careers through hosting career retreats and doing career coaching. So we offer co career coaching to women. And yeah, those that's, I split my time between those two things. And yeah, otherwise, love to travel. I'm an avid reader, feminist, um, African literature enthusiast, also uh -huh. sort of wonderful thing. I love the continent. I just that's why I'm learning French. African I'm learning French because I'm trying to be able to live in as many parts of the continent as possible, and I'm gonna need French for that at least for West Africa, for most of West and Central Africa. Now, that's so, yeah. amazing, and you know, for us, that's it's amazing the love for Africa because for the love of Africa, that's how you find yourself in Kigali, and that's how we connected. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we connected, literally, yeah. Kigali was one of the places, or Rwanda had been one of the places I wanted to visit. And there was a trip that was organized by a fellowship I'm part of, and I missed it, and I was like, no, I need to make a plan. So in December, I was like, I have time. I mean, I've just resigned. I have time. <laughs> New Year's in Kigali. What's it called? Fun employment. Yeah. Exactly. I was like... I'm in this space between jobs where I'm just taking a break, trying to rest and explore the continent. So yeah, and I'm so happy that I got to meet you guys while I was there. Yeah, it was a fantastic. It was actually so amazing because even when we met then, like we were literally just walking into the new year. And the spirits were high. Everyone was just feeling the feeling for 2020. It was this thing because I think when we met, it was like you from South Africa, I'm from Zimbabwe, 
you from Kenya. There was also another friend from Kenya. There was also another guy from Uganda who was working in Liberia. There like were an African. Yes, you know, yes. there were guys from yeah. Chicago, Cameroon, you know, Chicago, but from Malawi and Zimbabwe. And we were feeling this thing, like, you know, young black and um, exploring the continent. And we had vibes. Uh, those vibes. Those yeah. vibes. <laughs> that was such a beautiful group. Yeah, I actually met you on New Year's, right? Yeah, I think it was the day after New Year's. No, no, no. I met you. Sylvia, we met. We met that day at Inema. Were you at Inema? Yes. yes. And then headed out to Sundowners, too. Oh, come. Are you going? Oh, you left early. You left early. Yes, yes. I did leave early. Go. 4 a.m. is not early. It was early because we closed. Well, we actually were seen. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was absolutely beautiful. And you know, that's really I think this is actually even like a hard question to even start with because it's amazing seeing like, you know, obvious you are South African and developed for the continent of Africa. Yeah. Over the past several months, um, or even years, we know there's been, you know, a few minorities with what we call xenophobia. Uh, yeah. And it's something that's now an identity attached to South Africans, right? Where people think every South African does not love other Africans, right? Mm -hmm. um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I think it's, it is a hard thing. Like, it's a very hard thing to travel as a South African. I found it very difficult, over, especially over the last three months that I was traveling through West Africa as well. Like, because that is now the, the image, right? So people hear you're from South Africa and the second, third question is gonna be like, why are you killing our brothers and sisters? You know, like right. that's what you get asked. And Which country I, is West Africa? Did you I went to from? Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, Togo and Benin. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so that's sort of the first reaction. It's like, why are you guys killing our brothers and sisters? And I take full responsibility because I'm not going to, of course, there's all sorts of drivers and explanations and whatever, but it's, I find that I'm almost so, sort of challenged in the same way that black people are always saying to white people, like, oh my gosh, like we're being oppressed or whatever, and yeah. how you want people to acknowledge and take responsibility and see the, the damage that's been caused. Mm -hmm. I, I always sort of start off by acknowledging that and, and confirming that you're absolutely correct. This is unacceptable. It is absolutely happening in the country. It is absolutely mm -hmm. a racial, um, a racial, a racialized issue because the Germans that are coming here are not having an issue with xenophobia. Yeah. Um, so it's not a, and that's why xenophobia is actually not the right term really because that's like a phobia for foreigners, but it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. a Afrophobia. very much a racialized, um, if a racialized and class to be honest, because I think. When you speak to um, Africans of in the middle class, mm -hmm. the experience is very different. Like also people are coming here on like scarce skills visas and working in the corporates. They, of course, they have a fear of living in the country just because a lot of the discrimination is just off the basis of what you look like half the time or yeah. like your accent or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there is of course fear, but I think by and large what you, what gets seen in the media in the what gets caught is really like 
it's from a class level. It's people who are at the bottom of the distribution, um, who are coming in really like labor, economic migrants, trying to just make a living for themselves, and they're interacting mm -hmm. with other people at that in that same income um, strata or income cohort, and yeah, yeah also for eruptions. I, I think it's it's just really a a brutal way in which the socioeconomic inequality in South Africa is manifesting mm, yeah. itself. Um, there's also a history attached to that, right? I, I mean, I don't want us to delve into that so much because we want to shine a light on your work and what you are. <laughs> but then there's also a history attached to that. And, you know, we obviously understand where all these issues are stemming from on how Africans are pitted against each other because of colonialism and what happened in history. But then I see your point, as you say, we we have to take responsibility and try to address this systemic issue that, you know, brought us to this point. And yeah, thank thank you for, for sharing your thoughts on that. Yeah, and I love that you, you know, you said that how you process and you wanted to be like, you know, wanting, looking at it in the perspective that if, I'm as a black person, I want the white oppressors to understand this. And, you know, I'm working in different environments. And obviously, you want to also be able to understand people. Um, you said you're yeah. an economist. Uh, like, you know, you know, you know, economists are the best. Right? God, you have such we, an <laughs> a portfolio of achievements. You know? We've stalked you enough. <laughs> And it's amazing because one thing I've always said for myself, I remember when I first met y'all, you said that, and I was just so like, oh my God, oh my God, because um, being young, when I was going through education, so my first economist I met was a black woman doing amazing things, was Ambisa Moyo, right? And that always inspired me, hence why I ended up studying economics as well. Is she South African as well? Dambiza Moyo, she's Zambian and you uh, American as well. Okay. Um, she's the one that wrote that Dead Aid book um, uh, and all that stuff. I haven't read that. Yeah. And then when I see um, an economist like you as well, and you're very, you, you have a way to approach situations and stuff. I'm just curious, how did you get into the field of wanting to be an economist, wanting to be stressed by politics, <laughs> law, numbers. Numbers, numbers, you know, corruption, to understand human oh, power. Uh, <laughs> no, it's so crazy. It's funny because I didn't actually start out studying economics. I went to university with, with the, um, the goal of doing actuarial science. So I wanted to be an actuarial scientist in the, initially. And then I just, I found myself really at odds with the degree. Like it was just, you know, it's this thing where they're like, oh, you're so good at math and you got straight A's at high school. So go do, go do XI. And yeah, I was like, okay. I know. And like, and then I got there, I'm like, but this is just numbers and I'm calculating insurance premiums. And I'm like, figuring out when people are going to die. I was like, I was, I was this is not what I signed up for, but it was only when I did a course in, so my degree is a Bachelor of Business, was a business science degree, mm -hmm. where you, it's like a mini MBA, so you get to do a, 
a bit of everything. So you do economics and um, some courses in humanities and computer science and etc. So you do a little bit of everything in the first two years to get you exposed to like commerce as a whole. And then I did labor economics. And I was like, oh my Lord, like this is literally <laughs> what I've been, like this, this just feels right. Like I'm missing, I, I was missing a lot of the social impact desire I had in actuarial science. So when I did labor economics, and of course it's South African labor economics and labor is such a big part of our freedom struggle, you know, like that is like a lot of our struggle was resting in labor and how um, mm -hmm. black people were oppressed and like basically, yeah, slavery of, um, yeah. of a different kind. Um, and that played itself out in the labor market a lot. So I just really found that it resonated very deeply with me. So I decided to switch to economics and I was like, oh, I get to have like the analytical, quantitative, whatever, and the social um, mm. goals and the social impact that really underlies economics ultimately. Because I feel like for me, it's a study of how do we improve welfare for humans mm -hmm. and like how do we make societies better? So I really resonated mm -hmm. a lot with the degree from, from that angle and that's why I switched to it. Oh, wow. What a journey. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And then, so how did we then get from economists and, um, you know, finding, wanting to understand ways to improve so social welfare for South Africans and also maybe at a greater large, uh, hence why you love to travel, to then being a career coach? What was, what was the, what did you identify um, as a need? to feed that vision? The career coaching, okay. Well, that was actually born out of my own burnout. And yeah, it's, it's this journey of, you know, I studied and it was great. And I, at the end of my degree, I was just very tired with academia and I was like, I need a change. So I took a gap year, went to intern abroad. I lived in Germany, in Berlin for a little bit. Then I did my master's and I, and then I started working like properly. And I think I was just very disappointed with the labor market. Also mm. having studied like in my, in was my that, degree, I think I, Was Germany yeah. a assignment or was it just, you just had a way? Oh. I was working, I did an internship there. Okay. Um, yeah. Right, you mentioned so, that. Yeah. So I was like, very disappointed with the labor market, number one. I just felt like, yeah, I think when you look at South Africa's history and if you look at where the least transformation has happened, a lot of it is in the labor market. I think mm. um, a lot, there are many ways in which I find the school system because, you know, there's a memorandum and there's like, like, you know, there are answers to the questions in the exams and if you work hard, like there's a way in which that system allows for it filters out some of the discrimination and I think that sort of thing doesn't really exist to the same extent in the labor market. I think there's a lot of freedom for employers, even though there's legislation to try and govern, but it's like what happens inside those companies, a lot of it is just what's happening inside those companies. And just, yeah, a lot of discrimination still going on, a lot of like, yeah, like black people find it difficult to be well at work. I think that's really what was at the crux of it. It's like microaggression after microaggression after microaggression. <laughs> and it's just difficult to 
difficulty to transition and move up and you just i don't know i i remember some days i was i just wake up and i'm like yo can i just have a black day off like also the men are trying the men are busy killing us and then like white people are oppressing us and it's just like i don't know just a lot of it was playing out in the labor market but i was also just in consulting and working my ass off and i just i was burnt out as well so i just found myself in the space and then i was speaking to friends and realizing that we're all sort of saying the same things you know like i was like we're all crying about the same things so i was like why don't yeah. we all just go away for a weekend and just work on you know like work through what we're feeling together so that's where the career retreats were born so I told a mm-hmm. friend within 2 weeks we organized the program put one together by december like we were all seven of us were away on a weekend and we were um i had a lot a few three three or four activities planned that was really like crafted to help us all think through in a very methodical way about our careers where we are at like what what share experiences vent therapy you know all the things as well mm-hmm. um just like in a sisterhood sort of um have a safe space to speak yeah. about how are we yeah how are we navigating our careers and like what's hard and um how are you how are you taking care of yourself through what is hard and you know where are the growth points what is the vision that sort of thing and mm-hmm. after that one it was such a huge success that people like you really need there's such a need for this you know you need to do more of this and i went to the drawing board and really used that first one almost as a pilot and like even came up with a theory of change for like what is this going to look okay, like okay go like settled on like the three key main activities that would happen over the weekend and then over the last 3 years i did i ran about either 6 or 7 of them mostly in cape town because i was based there but then i did the first one in joburg last year and then looking to obviously do many more across the continent i really want to be everywhere so it sort of started there and over the my decision to take a career sabbatical actually came out of me getting career coaching myself and i was like this is actually what we're doing with these retreats like but i just don't have like the formal rigorous training and i really wanted to get that and and um put credibility to what we're doing So when I was away I made that decision. I think I was, it wasn't a wonder. I was at the lake uh, journaling. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was journaling at the lake and I was like I actually think I really want to stop doing this just as a little side project. I think there's there's so many people coming to me telling me like oh my gosh like that weekend really unlocked something and like you know mm. I was like there's definitely a need here that um women are looking for spaces like this and there's so very few of them especially around careers and mm. um navigate that space so i made the decision then that i want to actually go and get training as a coach uh once wow, i came you back even so w- took the initiative so inspiring yeah, so when i so when i came back i i did a coach training program the first phase of it so i'm now a certified coach and i'm working towards getting accredited <laughs> national coach federation so that i'm part, i can like yeah it's just i really you know also as an economist like i really 
believe in like getting the credibility and the right signals to show the market like what it is that you mm, are founded right. in and i really love rigor like i'm very rig- i'm a very rigorous person in a lot of things so i right. wanted to to ground myself in the theory of like what is the sort of underlying theory around coaching why does it work how does it work in terms of the psychology and the you know how what we understand about the brain and how you you know activate new ideas and create insights all all those things so i really wanted to ground myself and bring it out of like a side hustle hobby passion project to like i really want to deliver this properly and offer a really quali- high quality yeah, credible I'm ready. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. See, it's amazing. Like, cause as women anyway, naturally, and especially when you have safe spaces, we have these safe spaces yeah. most of the time. Yes, we we talk about um, anything like business ideas or men mm-hmm. relationships or whatever. But just having like a dedicated time zone to focus on careers, you know, it's it's always part of the package. Right? Yeah. But then that dedicated time zone. You know, we don't have that. And I think we all recognize that as women that are ambitious and everything. We all need that. Um, There's moments in my life when I'm also suffering. I think last weekend as well when we're on brunch, every one, the girls on the table, we had some sort of uh, Stockholm syndrome happening. (laughs) There's sort of, you know, there's just a lot of things happening. Like, but I know that if we all went away for one night, <laughs> just focus on careers, everyone will have that confidence and everything yeah. to keep going because it's normal to be, you know, to feel scared and worried or feel like you're not good enough or, you know, just doubting yourself. It's normal human reaction, but sometimes yeah. it's just needing an environment to clear your mind and refocus. Exactly. So I think and that's really what has been a lot of the attraction. Yeah. People who gravitate towards the retreat specifically are, are looking to make a change in their career. They're feeling stuck or they're not growing. And then on the coaching one-on-one side, because I've been doing a lot more of that now since getting certified, mm-hmm. it's really like I'm stuck. A lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of lack yeah. of con- lack of confidence that oh, also comes it out. Um, it's imposter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Imposter syndrome is a big one. Um, sort of like yeah. I think there's just a big not realizing the power of our own magic. I think a lot of my coaching mm. is really holding yeah. space for women to see themselves and to see that magic and then really over the course of the of the series as they work towards the career goal they've said really start believing that you know yeah um yeah so it's been it's really i i say i call it sacred work i really like gives me so much joy that's so inspiring yeah i can't hear you on what you've said in in terms of yes we have imposter syndrome most people have imposter syndrome actually how do you do you think as a coach as you've learned on the way and the tools that you've used is there like how do you think it's because of how people are raised and the environments they grow up in because there are obviously women who don't feel that and I, I, I also there are very few, but yes. Yeah. So, how do you 
like is it does it have to do with our backgrounds people's backgrounds and how they've been raised and how they've been brought up or is it just progression or work environments that brings bring that up and how people interact with with you and all that what what are what, I think it's, yeah yeah it's interesting because i haven't coached men so i don't mm. know the degree to which i mean obviously just from my own feminist reading and like a lot of it is for women is um it's by design like patriarchy is especially designed totally. to have you yeah. not believe so mm -hmm. but I, i i definitely know that there's a level and part of it is probably just how our society like living in a capitalist society like yeah. that asks of you to produce 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 and all of this stuff so i think there's some level there's some bare minimum i think that where most people at some point have had some moment where they were questioning whether they're enough whether they're good enough so i think that but i think because we also live in patriarchal societies on top of them being capitalist there's also a particular burden on women to right. really like diminish themselves like to really not you're from the minute you're like out of the womb like someone's really training you for marriage for uh you know like <laughs> yo yeah you're literally for service like you're you're being groomed in a way that says you need to dim your light you need to almost make yourself so small like you don't exist in service of parents your partner one day your children you like you are not supposed to take center stage ever yeah and there's no way that doesn't produce some form of imposter syndrome when you now have to show up in any way that is not that and what mm -hmm. that's like what you need to do at work like what you needing to do at work is show up very much in in if you want to do well at work you really need to take up space and true you know like be confident and claim what is yours and speak up for what you believe in and whatever so it can start even if you're doing that it can start yeah. to feel like you're embodying someone else's body and that in those moments and it produces that so yeah. depending i think that's like the broader thing and then depending on your particular context how it manifests will depend on how you particularly were raised and the you know mm -hmm. people you have around mm -hmm. like yeah uh, totally so, but i think overall there's like this yeah. theme that just cuts across all of us that is just the systemic and it's like at a structural yeah. it's funny that you say that cuz like um one of my uh nieces my cousin um the other day she you know we were talking about this thing about confidence and imposter syndrome she was like you know what Trimby i've never told you this you know as far as i remember as a little girl my dad always used to tell me that no matter where you go you know what be like a white man you know <laughs> like, a white clueless man decisions and whatever whatever but obviously she still suffers from that bigger issue that will always be there because a system is a system right uh but individualism that's when you know the in different things when you raise children and everything there's a statement that you said uh earlier you said uh a 
a woman a black woman day off and you you know you said like you know as, as south african women we know there's what we call femicide that's happening in south africa and it's very serious and yeah. not wanting to also just drop highly focus on the seriousness but i've always wondered like as a south african woman um how is it like dating in south africa knowing that you know yeah i don't <laughs> your partner can turn on you and kill, kill you one day i don't like i just <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I and that's not like a it's funny like i think the boys i've been obviously because i've been traveling now like i've and this year i'm like Give me all the French boys because I'm trying to learn French. So if you mean I'm gonna waste my time, I'm trying to learn French. But yeah. I mean, I think it's not a principle. It's, it's there is something to be said for if you live in a country where the femicide rate is five times the global average. Yeah. As much as you can, can all accept, and I mean. Because you know, men are trash, was trend is always trending in South Africa, but it's mm-hmm. like, and then the boys will come, like, oh, not all men. And I mean, no yeah. one is saying physically all men are going to go and kill women, but you have to ask yourself a society that allows for this to happen, what standard has it set for its men? Like, the bar is underneath the ground. Like, so Ooh, if the yeah. this is the pro- this is my issue. So I was like, guys, also, I'm an economist, if I'm going to look at the continent and decide where I'm going to be active in the dating market. I'm not going to yeah. choose this one because it doesn't make sense. Like the, even a 0.5 probability of getting killed is too high. Like I'd rather go somewhere. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd really rather go date somewhere where that probability is zero, you know, like, or look in or that. Negative. Yeah. Or negative. Or negative, whatever. But it, I just feel like it, it, what it tells you is that if men in this country can kill women and get away with it on the regular, what you're going to get on average, if we did a survey or polled people or looked at it, is that the even bare necessities, just like respect and what role you think a woman should play and how much agency you think should have, it's going to be very much lower in this country when if it's acceptable for you to do something like that. Like the bar is just really mm-hmm. underneath the ground. It's a, so I think even in the few entanglements I've had, of course they're not really <laughs> with South African men, I found that, and I have literally, um, I've, I've, I've at least had interest in enough men across the continent, even dated a European and whatever. Like so, I've, in my own experience, I do think there's a cultural element that exists mm. here that is part and parcel of the violence that is permitted to happen in the country that I'm just mm-hmm. really not super interested in. And I'm a feminist. I think I, I hold all men are up against the same the same yeah. criteria, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a feminist criteria. It's just do you even know what that word means? It's just like there's just bare minimum. Like there's just bare basics. Like do you understand what's your position? What do you think mm-hmm. is a woman's role in the world? Or like what is your past experience when it comes to just issues of gender equality or whatever. and that I hold anyone up against. It's not even just South Africans, but it's just yeah, I don't know. It's actually I just worry about like I worry about what, what the society and the culture means for more broadly, yeah. like what men what yeah. men believe here. Which is weird, like I guess for me as an outsider, it's like 
it's interesting to have this thing that you know outside from south africa okay. yeah in the sense that you know i'm looking at it now i'm under identifying i'm resonating with when you say it's a cultural thing right but i'm all i'm now left with more like with more questions like when we had the Winnie Mandela's of this world, right? These were women that led us, you know, fought with us and leaders, you know? Mm -hmm. So many women were at the forefront, including um, when the fees must, uh, fees must fall protests. Uh, so many females have been at the forefront, even when you look at it at um, new, I guess when we say, you know, <laughs> uh, Malema and his team, you know, it's always the women, right? That are yeah. about the new change, the new vibe, even outside ANC. So how do we then get such powerful women that we see outside as outsiders out of South Africa? Um, then there's this strong culture against women in society. I mean, I think one of my theories, which I haven't tested, so don't go quoting me or whatever. One of one of my one of my things that I've been thinking about quite seriously is that part of the problem. Okay, we have the history, right? You have a history where I think colonization overall really just diminished the role of men on the continent, and like um, where you typically were the holder of power, you were the you know the provider, the the people who mm. to make all you were stripped of that and you and really like apartheid really was about reducing black people to infants that's literally that extent like you were not even a child you were like an animal in some respects mm. so there's you have this like yeah men being losing that their, their particular societal role and i guess also an ability to contribute from a patriarchal point of view what mm. that where their value sort of came from as men and a lot mm -hmm. of that being taken out on the women so i get beat down and oppressed and treated like an animal at work and i come home and i take that out on the people that are there and the people yeah. are there as women in the so at least in heterosexual context and whatnot but um so i think you have that sort of playing out um in some respects, and it's not to excuse anyone. I think they just, they're all sorts of different explanations for why, like South Africa in, in and of itself, before we even get to gender-based violence, which I also hate that term because it doesn't ascribe who is doing anything. Like, it's like, can we just yes, call yes. it whatever? Yeah. Women are not being killed by um, whatever, like trans women, because um, it's really, it's gender across the spectrum, like violence, that violence is being, enacted across the spectrum, but no one ever mentions men in, in this thing, but that's who is causing all of this. But um, there are a lot of different explanations, but I do also feel that there's this juxtaposition. It's really, it's a country of contrast because you have this yeah. intense violence. We have a culture of violence that precedes just this particular issue. It's across the board, crime is high, everything murders high whatever and then you have this contrast where at the same time there are liberties in this country that don't exist anywhere else on the continent right That's like right true. They, yeah. um, you have this amazing contrast and part of that i think when it comes to this particular issue is that the feminist movement here uh and from my travels especially now coming from west africa it's just like 
Hey guys, I I literally as a woman, it's it's this crazy thing where I was like, I feel so safe walking alone at night in Dakar, but at the same time there are all sorts of freedoms I have, especially as a feminist in South Africa that I just don't have in Senegal. Like yeah, I, so I, I, I struggle to access some of those things. So I think this this war against patriarchy that's being waged in the country that mm-hmm. I think part of the violence is a backlash against that. How dare mm-hmm. you think that you can be independent? How dare you guys think that you can come into uh, work environments, take leadership roles? You know, mm-hmm. how dare you re- demand equality in the home? How dare? So I think yeah. I think part of it is it's because the the there's a strong push towards the equality that the backlash is also in response to some of that. I think I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah an interesting issue. I, I want to circle back on what. Rumbi asked you so with all these powerful women do you think this whole issue is happening in South Africa because there are not enough women in policy making in parliament trying to make these changes or what is or is the government even actually trying to solve this problem they are like I don't think enough's being done and I think my issue is that everyone keeps focusing on the women like the women are not the problem i'm not the problem like, i don't know yeah. i feel like there's just too much burden on yeah. on women everyone, everyone wants to have women empowerment and like what to do when this happens i'm like can we please focus on the cause of the issue the cause of the issue is men can we please have conversations <laughs> with men right go into the school system and deconstruct and you know like really um re-engineer our education in the school system around what it means to be a man and like what it means to be a powerful man and what it means to you know like there is just women are not seen as human beings in this country otherwise this stuff wouldn't be happening so i just really i'm annoyed with it so and yeah recently they've introduced three new changes to some of the bills but i feel like a lot of the work is still around like what it's not at um, it's not intervening at the level of preventing the thing from happening. It's still at the level of when it has happened, how do we respond? Because their problems are along the entire chain, right? Like mm-hmm. there's the problem that it happens, but then there's the problem that if I get raped, the police are going to ask me what I did. Like the police. Well, what are you wearing? <laughs> what are you wearing? Like, what did you do to him? Like maybe you deserve this. You know, like there's also, so there's issues across the entire spectrum. And I think some of the responses on government side has been around like re-educating the police force, having more women also yeah. dealing with cases of rape and um, assault and et cetera, like also at that level, at a policy level, trying to look at legislation and whatever. But I'm like, I just feel like, can we please, can we please like just... <laughs> you know, your description of South Africa for me, I find it like, um, you know, I resonate with a lot of that. And for me, it's like, I love going to job up. Airports are now open, so we will have a job up moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one thing I find is like, it's intriguing. I, I find it a very intriguing country, right? Like, you're literally driving from the airport. And you're already seeing shacks and shacks and shacks of people, yeah. you know. And then you go into like Santon, and it's a different lifestyle. You go to Soweto, it's different, but you can be in Soweto, but you see people driving like the latest BMW, you know, people got the latest Gucci glasses. It's really, 
I think as an economist, if even if you have an if you're like into psychology and sociology and stuff, South Africa is just an interesting place to let your mind rumble around different theories and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing I love about also out of that is like South Africa's got a vibe. The music, the knees, the dance. <laughs> I love piano. You like, guys love knees, man. I know everyone keeps saying that they're like South Africans don't have knees, guys. Like, <laughs> you guys are so bad because you're the only African country I've ever been in where even your shops and your government tell you you can buy apple before 7 p.m. or is it 8 p.m.? And this is before COVID. This is wow. before COVID. You can't go to oh, a supermarket. The, the the alcohol laws are pre-COVID, those are municipal. So yeah. every municipality can set their own bylaws. So it's not a national thing. Like in some municipalities they will shut it down for religious yeah. purposes. I don't know. But but yeah, but the alcohol problems is a really big problem. I didn't I actually found out now during COVID that South Africa and Kenya are the worst drinkers on the <laughs> continent. I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> 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 but it was really bad. I think I, I think COVID really shed a proper light on just how bad because they lifted the first ban and the trauma units were overwhelmed with just cases from alcohol, like car accidents and um, violence where people get drunk and then they beat each other or they shoot each other and stab each other. It's just, it was crazy. So it's, it's quite yeah. clearly like I anticipate changes in legislation once we emerge out of this thing because the, the government can't just sit back and we've always known that it's a problem and it's of course also linked alcohol is, is a very strong correlator to the violence against women and children so um, yeah i just think that more needs to be done there. yeah but yeah it's an unequal country we're the world's most unequal country guys thanks to our, thanks to first colonization but apartheid really just stamped it in properly yeah. and it's just it's really just going to take considered effort and I think just a better capable more capable state if we're really going to shift that needle sooner than what people are predicting oh my phone's gonna die she's um, <laughs> running <laughs> you just run to my charger quickly <laughs> I know <laughs> Saved it. I'm charged in. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yes. That's awesome. So I think we're getting closer to the hour. Um, but we wanted to just kind of like give you a moment to kind of drop some nuggets. Um, drop some plug yourself, babe. Yeah. You know, just you know, share a nugget because there's a woman out there that's you know resonating and I can imagine even like young graduates see like mm. an economist that's confident as a woman and has her own thoughts and theories, you know, basically yeah. just shine in your safe space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for creating this. I think it's really awesome. And I'm very excited to see who else gets interviewed. I, I, yeah, I think it's just so linked to my love for the continent and bringing women around the continent together. It's really one of my goals in life is to have this superpower community of like women from all over different parts of the continent one day one day i'm going to have some huge conference yes. <laughs> for women yeah, <laughs> 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 
conference at 55 uh, exactly exactly like exactly yeah. yeah i love it but yeah i mean i, I think <laughs> something yeah i mean you know i i just had a moment now like oprah's what i know for sure you know like oprah always does this like what is it that you know for sure and yeah. i think maybe one thing or a few things that i now know for sure that come from my own path or my journey it's just yeah like um as much as you if you don't I, and i'm very cognizant to just what i know about what a lot of women where a lot of women are is that if you don't yet believe in your own magic mm-hmm. keep at it like keep at it yeah. uh, find support and a lot of women really struggle with asking for help that's a strong theme that comes out of my coaching work asking mm-hmm. for help is a big one and just start small like really don't baby steps is literally one of my favorite terms and it's like my favorite question now in coaching is always okay so that sounds like it's going to be very hard for you what is the baby step here like what would that yeah. look like mm-hmm. and i guess yeah those if i put my coaching hat on those are some of the questions like what are some of the things that you're resisting that you think are standing the way of you believing in your own magic uh mm-hmm. what are some of the baby steps that you can be taking and who are some of the people that can really hold the space for you and how do you make the brave choice to lean right. in on them and like really bring them into your into your into your circle and rely on them better and then the last thing that i really wanted to just um advise or like just say something about it which also comes up a lot in in coaching is just celebrating yourself and totally. i know a lot of people do gratitude journals but I, one of my big things for this year is like yes be grateful absolutely continue doing your gratitude journal and what you're grateful for but i really want women to start celebrating themselves like what do you want to yeah. and because celebration is not just oh i'm grateful and i'm going it's like party like literally i want you to find things in your life every so often check in with yourself to be like what do i really yeah. and it, it doesn't have to be big but it, the bigness of it is in the fact that you want to celebrate it you know and it can be something mm-hmm. as small as i've been always quiet in every meeting at work and today i really like i opened my mouth and i like asked yeah. some questions or like you know or i spoke to my boss about this annoying thing that he does all the time and i really <laughs> found the courage to but it's just take moments to really celebrate your milestones we don't pat ourselves on the back enough and i think a lot of confidence building comes from that and yeah, yeah and if people want to um, hang out and reach out to me they are more than welcome to uh, visit uh, our website or email me larato@morero.org.za if you're mm-hmm. interested in learning more about coaching or doing a coaching series yourself or finding out when the career retreats are going to be coming up post covid next year hopefully we'll be uh, bringing them back uh, live but coaching is happening so if anyone is interested in learning more about that uh, a webinar should be happening in october just to share more about what is coaching because i think it's also a bit mm-hmm. of a strange new area for a lot of people so happy to happy yeah, to absolutely. share more but we are also on social media on instagram but yeah if i'll share the i think rumbi has the link to the website so if you put that with the show notes for this episode yes. people can are welcome to go there yeah 
go check it out and email us or come chat. I'm happy to have a conversation if you're interested to learn more. Yes, and it's soon, especially now after COVID, a lot of careers are pivoting. And it's perfect time to invest in yourself for the future that you want, you know, Mm -hmm. because careers are shifting in 2021. So, yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Loretta. It's so good to see you. And to have you around and, you know, having a good girl time. Um, yeah, so love this so much. We'll send a glass of wine the next uh, <laughs> session we'll do with you. Yeah, when we do a part two. Yes. Exactly. No, we'll do part two in Rwanda when I come to yes. <laughs> Agreed. And to also learn more about the progress of Morero and what he's been doing and all that. Oh, yeah. that'll be cool, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for you know coming on board, honoring us with your time. We missed last Friday, but you still you know made it today. I know it's Friday. Everyone wants to rest on Friday. To Larato Shai for joining us today, and guys, you've had everything she's doing, amazing work out there. If you're interested in you know reaching out, she's already given a shout out, and we will still write that down in the description box on this episode and thank you so much to the listeners as well see you next week bye awesome